Turn in your Bibles, if we were, to John chapter 5. I was going to tell you that I was sitting behind them helping them. I was up here singing. Except if I was, you'd know it already. John chapter 5, in your Bibles, we're going to read first several verses here, a particular story, and uh, we're going to talk about revival this morning. Just came out of a class, first block with Dr. Flanders zooming in. I think he zooms even when he's not here, or when he is here, and then when he's not here, he's still zooming, and uh, it was history of revival. That was a really good class. How many of you have taken that class? Okay, mostly toward the back, upperclassmen. Three seminarians back there. That's good. Good class. Make sure that you get that class. Ladies, don't think that's just a class for the men. If you've got time, you can take that class. I don't know if it's required, but um, make sure that you take History of Revival. John chapter 5, let's begin reading in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem, by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting. Waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole. And took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which said unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. Let's pray. Lord, this morning as we look at this text and maybe understand historically what happened, but more than that, how that you changed a man, and how that you'd still like to do the same today, Lord, help us to understand the possibilities that are here for us. I think we understand based on what's going on around us and in our national environment, the need, but Lord, the need is here, 
And so, Lord, change us too, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you think we could term this revival? I mean, really, seriously. Did a reviving happen here? Yeah, okay. Was sin involved? Does, does the issue of sin come in? Oh, yeah, Jesus made it very clear. We don't know why all of these folk are here, other than that they have you know, physical maladies, diseases, whatever. But we do know in this case that sin was involved, right? Um, Jesus makes it pretty clear. We'll come to that at the end here. We're just trying to get a picture of what's going on. How many people are here? Three or four, five or six? A multitude, right? It's big. There's a pool, you have five porches. Let me lay it out real quick. If we were gonna come in the eastern side of Jerusalem, the old walls here, if we were going to be in the vicinity of Bethesda, which is mentioned only here in the scripture, we would walk through today, we would walk through what's called the Lion's Gate. And just inside of that gate, inside, we could look south, this direction. We would look a couple hundred feet and we would see the northern border wall of the Temple Mount, the Temple Mount. It's only a couple hundred feet. You can see it easily. If the door is open down there, you can literally see through it onto the Temple Mount, where in this day is Herod's Temple. We're that close. But if we turn north and look that way, about 300 feet, we would see these porches, the Pool of Bethesda. It's been found. You can go there and see it. Where these laid that day. It was revival that day. Why was it revival? Was it revival because the water moved? That'd be weird, right? The water moved. Somebody's revived. It was revival because Jesus came, right? Was anybody asking him to come? Was anybody looking for him to come? Pleading with them. Did somebody send him an invitation? Come. No. Not here. Not this time. Like the woman at the well. Was she looking for Jesus? No. Oh, she was looking for water too. That's interesting. These people are all of them looking at the water. They want to go swimming. Well, right? They're focused on the water. We're going to talk about that. I really do want to take you back and uh, get a better feel for what's happening there. See if at all this has any application to what we have today. You say, I'd never do that. Well, I'd never lay under a porch and look at a pool all day. When did he come? Like weekdays? Monday, Wednesday, Friday? Was this a block class in front of the pool? When did he come? He lived there. All day. Every day. Why? Because the water. When the water moves. That's my hope. My hope is in the water. Right? Are we reading this right? Dr. Norberg, in his book, God-Controlled Lives, 
He wrote nearly a hundred years ago this. From ancient times, this very place had been a public asylum of human misery. In these porticos, porches, lay a great multitude of invalid folk, of blind, halt, and withered. They had come from all over the land, drawn thither by the rumor of the healing power of the water in the pool. The inmates, as he calls them, could tell of amazing stories, of wondrous healings, which had taken place at this spa, which the waters were disturbed, when the waters were disturbed by some celestialist power. This pool was an ancient lord's, with its fever of anticipation and its despondency of bitter disappointment. Of all hopelessness, what is darkest which springs forth from continually baffled anticipation. If a few were blessed with a mental healing of their physical ailment, the majority always remained there in the spa, which to them, day by day, became more and more of a dungeon of despairing resignation. In their stoic indifference, hope died, withered by the desert wind of lonely hopelessness. Anyone who visited this misery, this veritable human junk pile, could easily distinguish the two groups. The excited newcomers who frantically, frantic, frantically awaited their chance of healing and of the many half-bitter old-timers whose eyes told of a slowly killing despair. Anticipated recovery and hopeless dying, such was the atmosphere of Bethesda. They were banded together in the solidarity of worthlessness. As is always the case, relatives and friends, little by little, seemed to forget that they existed at all. Their visits became fewer and fewer, and little by little, these invalids drifted into the dead army of forgotten lives. No one cared. They were alive, yet already dead, these inmates of Bethesda. The worst time of the year was when a national festival was held in the holy city. Beyond the walls of the porticos, they could hear the voices of the pilgrims and more faintly the distant music of the temple feasts. The breeze carried the faint music, cruelly reminding the inmates of the joy denied them. They were excluded. They had to stay here. They had no alternative. The only reports they received came through their blind co-sufferers who served as their daily newspapers. When they made a trip to town, they took in some of the temple service, met some old acquaintances from Galilee or the south. They also told amazing stories about a certain new prophet with a remarkable healing power. He had opened the eyes of the blind, cleansed lepers, made the lame walk, and performed many other miracles. The rulers of the nation were fighting him, but the people... The people were flocking to him. He was always followed by a crowd eager to hear his word and even more eager to have him heal their sick ones. They said he was coming to Jerusalem. If he came, he would, of course, spend his time in the temple. A prophet seeking to influence the nation would have no time for Bethesda. He probably did not even know that this place existed. Did he know? 
Bethesda. We believe that it means house of mercy or house of grace. But what mercy and grace is there? Watch them. Can you see them now? How many of them take a break and no longer look at the water? They play a game. They read a book. Do they? Or are they fixated on the water? Will the water change them? Heal them? It's all the hope they have. The water. I wonder how cruel it is and how cruel they are with each other. Do you think you hear there at Bethesda, the house of mercy? Do you think you hear one maybe when the water finally is stirred? Do you think you hear one say, oh no, after you, I'll get the next one? Can you hear that? I doubt it. The pushing, the shoving, the maneuvering for position. In the mornings, they wake up to discover that somebody in the night moved closer in front of them blocking them. There's no mercy or grace here. Just this humanity, this hopelessness, they're dying. They're dying where they lay. I've titled this message, Dying in Our Comfort Zone. Dying in Our Comfort Zone. Dying to live. But these folks aren't dying to live. They're just dying. I imagine that every couple of days, I don't know, another body is removed from Bethesda. Even as more come, as uh, one indicated here, from around the country. But does it have to be this way? How many of these people need to be here? How many of them? Is there another way? A better way? A more sure way, yes or no? Well, we read about it. No doubt word is traveling, that there is somebody. That not just one at a time, and that the quickest, the strongest. No. God doesn't reward the quickest. The strongest, he rewards what? Faith. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. No, there's no hope here. No mercy and grace without God. But they're hearing about him. But they're not looking for him. They're looking at the water. Bethesda. There's four things that I want us to notice from the text before God even shows up. Four things that are present. The first is a comfort zone. Notice in verse 3, it says, In these, those five porches or porticos, in these lay a great multitude. We're going to realize in several verses here, in fact, the Lord Jesus is going to mention it first in verse 8, then in 9, 10, 11, 12, 
there's a reoccurrence of the mention of a bed. And these, the great multitude, they lay on a bed. You know what we're going to call that? Comfort zone. You know, while we're waiting for something to happen, while we, while we need something to happen. You could ask anybody in there, hey, do you need something to happen? Oh, yeah. Okay, but what are you doing right now? I'm laying right here. Comfort zone. Do you have one? All right, what does this comfort zone look like? Well, uh, probably some sort of material, probably not real fancy, maybe, a, I don't know, a burlap, cheap, durable, and we, we think probably filled with straw. That'll work. Maybe we could write Serta on the bottom of it. That would help, right? We'd be even more comfortable if it said Serta on it. And that's it. It's just a, a mat or a bed. It's here. It's enough for one person. It's all that's needed. And there, according to verse 3, there they lay. Do you know that the bed of this man is mentioned more time in this passage than the pool is mentioned? Do you know that Jesus didn't say, rise, take up thy pool and walk? He didn't say that. Do you know why he didn't say that? I don't need an engineering student to tell me why he didn't say that. Listen, how much time did this man, this particular man, spend on this bed as opposed to in the pool? Okay, why don't you take your bed then? We'll talk more about that in a moment. It's his comfort zone. How comfortable is it? You want one? Shall we swap it out with what you're using right now to sleep on? You want one? Let's talk a little bit more about it. How often does it get washed? I don't know. How often does it rain? How old is it? We don't know how long he's been living here or staying here. He's had this malady for 38 years. I don't know how long he's been here, but Jesus said a long time, a long time. I don't know. I don't know if this is a new model. It probably not. He's probably had it for a while. So it's been here. You tell me about it. What's it smell like? You don't have one, do you? Never mind. <laughs> Are there things living, other things living in it? In and around it? Through it? Coming out of it? Back into it? And out again? Now do you want one? Listen, or do we have one? And is ours any prettier? Does ours smell better? Is ours not infested? Yet we think maybe at times it's the only thing we have. So we crawl back to it. Our comfort zone. You know, many years ago, there was a young man on a Monday, I understand, I wasn't here, but on a Monday, was sitting right here. Dr. Jim was seated over here. He's the one that told me the story. It was a Monday 
chapel. Testimonies had begun. Dr. Jim saw this young man, he was antsy, like he was going to give a testimony that day. He stood to his feet, reached into his pocket, and he pulled out a fistful of demerit slips. You know, back in the day when you'd receive it that way, some of you remember that. You don't have to nod your head. You just say, no, I don't remember. I, don't. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. You're setting yourself up. Okay, got you on that one. He's, uh, he's not facing the student body yet. He, he pulls out the demerits. Dr. Jim's watching. And uh, Dr. Jim noticed that he had a different look on his face. It was pretty sober. A little unusual for him. Demerits were, you know, a common thing for him. And something that might be kind of funny around the dinner table, whatever. But today, Dr. Jim noticed it didn't seem so funny to him. He pulled him out. He turned to the student body, and he held him up. About to speak, the student body made an assumption, and they began to laugh. You know, it's common. It's what we do. This is, this is who it is. This is his life. This is his comfort zone. It was funny. And Dr. Jim noticed in that moment that the opportunity was lost for that young man. I don't know, the testimony changed. It, it fizzled. But he sat down. Now, I don't think, I don't think that this student body, I wasn't here at the time, I... I don't think the student body would do that. I don't think so. But I do wonder, just as a simple matter of application, how you view your own each semester. Now, it's not really the point of my message but it might be one of the things that's keeping us from revival. So I took the liberty to have Miss Yeager just print out for me last semester's demerit records. And I glanced them over. And uh, it's very interesting. There's a lot of words on here like late or failure. Late to rise, late to, late to this, late to that. Late to nursery, late to choir, late to orchestra, late. Failure, failure to turn in, failure to provide, failure. Failure to shut that phone off in class. Failure to get this form in and that form, failure. Are you comfortable? where you are? Is that where you want to be? Is that where you should be? If Jesus walked in here, like he did that day, and he came in this door, and he walked over here, and he looked at you with sweet eyes, oh my, he looked at you, and he glanced, 
as he slowly made his way down the aisle. If he showed up like he did at Bethesda, if grace showed up, what would change? He just looked, nodded, said hello, how are you? How long was he at Bethesda? A minute and a half? Two minutes? Three? And then he walked, Jesus, through that door and left. What would be different? What would be changed for good? There were, I don't know, a hundred people at Bethesda. It was a great multitude. I don't know how many. A bunch. How many were changed? How many? One. How many could have been changed? How many? God showed up. Oh, no. We're looking at the water. No, I'm comfortable. God came. All of them could have stood and walked out. The place would be empty. One. And why him? Why him? Sovereign act? <laughs> Alexander, I got that one right on the test. It's not a sovereign act. Did God, in other words, did Jesus come in and go, uh, I just got time for one. Just time for one. Who will it be? Uh, flip a coin. Somebody got a coin? Is that what he did? No, he responds to faith. Do you know what that means? That means if Jesus walked in this door, walked this aisle, walked out that door, and nobody was changed for good, what would that mean? Does that mean that he couldn't do it? It means we didn't believe he could. We're comfortable. I'm waiting on the water. Comfort zone. There's four things here we're looking for before Jesus even came. One is they're laying. Number two, also found in verse three, and we've alluded to it. It says, in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, a blind, halt, withered, waiting. Boy, they are urgent. They are locked onto that water. Now, we don't know what it is that stirred the water. Uh, one man in his book, Manners and Customs, uh, Dr. Matthews thinks that it might have been something having to do with the underground uh, cisterns or, or springs that fed this. There might have been something there that stirred the waters occasionally, uh, randomly, and, uh, and they are locked onto that. So they, they have a comfort zone. They are yet urgent. They are waiting. Number three, they are focused. Verse three, we see it. They're waiting for, not for Jesus to come. They're waiting for the moving of the water. They have great focus. And number four, I want you to see in verse seven, as now this man has opportunity to converse with Jesus, he says this, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the water, but, notice the words, but 
but I have no man that will help me. The implication is there, have you come to help me? Is Jesus now supposed to pick him up and throw him into the pool? What do we want Jesus to do for us? Lift us off of our comfort zone and throw us in the pool? The thing that we are looking for that would really be of benefit? Are we going to let Jesus decide what is the answer? Anyway, you didn't tell me what the next words are. He says to Jesus, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while what? I am coming. You tell me what that looks like. He's drug himself out of his comfort zone. What does it look like? Does it look like an Olympic event? You and I would weep if we saw what was going on there. We wouldn't laugh at it. Here's a man who can hardly move. Because of sin in his life that caused whatever. God's chastening hand and here he is. And now what is he doing? With all his might. With everything that he has. Yes? I wondered, I wondered how cruel it would be if a, if a kid, if it ever happened that a kid stood on the other side of the porch on the backside, threw something over the top into the pool. A rock. Hey, I dare you. And to see what would happen to that place. They scrape and pull with all their might while I am coming. His greatest effort, all that he can do from his comfort zone to get to that, that answer, that healing, I think it'll work. And he puts his greatest effort into it. This time, I will be first. No. And somebody else steps down in front. Those four things are present even before Jesus shows up. A comfort zone, urgency, a focus, and great effort. Do we recognize those things in our life? And yet, how much healing is there? And so disappointed, what does he do? You already know. What does he do? Crawls back to his comfort zone. You ever been there? Crawls back. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, and he wasn't looking for it. He wasn't asking for it. And yet Jesus, not a moment late, knew that on this day, with whatever disappointment, whatever is there, he's come to the end, and he doesn't even know it. That if I showed up today and asked him, he'd be ready. Yesterday? No. Today, he's ready. And he doesn't even know it. And Jesus walks in and sees him and asks him this question. Seems like a foolish question. Wilt thou be made whole? Four quick things that now get us, (laughs) deliver us, from the comfort zone. Here's the answer. And of course it has everything to do with Jesus. But number one, Jesus said, wilt thou. You had enough? 
Are you done? That complaining spirit, you thought that's really what will help. Whatever it is that we look at and we say, there, there it is. That makes me feel better. I think that's providing some healing in my life. Really? What is it? Procrastination? Anger? What is it? Might be material things. Shopping? What is it? And Jesus says, have you had enough? 38 years. This could have been over 37 and a half years ago. Are you done? Have you had enough? Wilt thou? It's your decision. That's what he's saying. Are you ready? Student, are you ready? We looked at the demerit records. Are you ready? You ready for real victory? Are we going to get off that flea-bitten mat there and do right? Whatever it is, I don't know. Are you ready? Jesus is. He's been ready. Today's the day. Wilt thou? It's time to decide. Number two. Wilt thou be made whole? You've been focused on the wrong thing. This man is literally going to have to take his eyes off the water to even look at Jesus. I, if he says, oh, God, I don't have time. I've got to watch that water. I could, I could lose out. This could be it right here. This could be the one. He's got to take his eyes off the water and put them on Jesus. He's got to refocus himself on Jesus. You've got to admit, it's your decision. Decide to be whole. Refocus. Number three. Obey every word. Jesus said, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Rise. I can't do that. No, and neither can we, but in verse 9, Jesus provided what was needed, and immediately the man was made whole. Jesus brought what was needed. The man turning from the water, now looking to Jesus to answer the question, yes, Jesus heals him. He can now stand to his feet if he likes. But number three, what he needs to do is obey every word. Every word. All of them. Rise. Walk. Take your bed. Rise. Stand to your feet. And then walk. Don't lay back down. Don't, don't go. No, don't do that. Rise. Walk. Walk out of here. Get away from this place. Move out. I have a plan for your life. There's things to do now. Leave. Walk. Take your bed. Why? Won't somebody come get it? Won't somebody else need it? Why did Jesus say, take your bed? He doesn't like litter. Mark chapter 2, a guy came to him in his bed. Four guys helping him. You know what Jesus said? Up, take the bed, go. Why the bed? Why? There's stuff in it, crawling out of it. It stinks. Why do I have to take it with me? Why? Why can't I just leave it? Why? Take your bed. 
This is the point. You obey every word. That's number three. Do you know that this guy could? He could lay back down on the bed. He could. Well, thank you so much for healing. I'm going to stay right here. I don't like to walk. Walking is hard. I think I'll lay. That'd be all right. I'm healed. I'm healed, but I'm going to lay. Are you healed? Have you been healed by Jesus? Then why be in a comfort zone? That'd be about as silly as this guy saying, no, I think I'll, I think I'll just stay right here. I like it here. It's been home for, you know, home is where the heart is. I think I'll stay here. I love it. Home sweet home. He lays back down and sings a song. That's nice. Or how about this? How about this? How about he, uh, he's, got, he's got his legs. Wow, these are, wow, these things work. I can get to the pool now. Woo, boy, I can beat everybody. Look out. I don't even have to be up front. I'll see you guys scraping along. I've been healed. I can really get to the pool now. Maybe our focus is in the wrong direction at times. I'd be a little silly, wouldn't it? Boy, I can get in there. I can do the backflip and the swim and look at this dive. Unimpressive. You're not obeying every word. Jesus said, take the bed up and walk. Why? Why the bed? Well, here's why, and we're done. Because number four, you've got to pay the price. What? What do you mean you have to pay the price? What day is it? Not today. Like, I know what today is. What day is this? It's a Sabbath day. Jesus had to come on the Sabbath? Like, half of what he did was on the Sabbath. Why? He came in on the Sabbath. Couldn't wait till tomorrow. Yesterday wasn't working. The Sabbath day. Then he says to the guy, you know, rise, take up your bed, take your bed. That's the key. And go out that, go, go out there. So the guy does. He obeys every word. And by that, he had great opportunity. Opportunities he wouldn't have had if he hadn't obeyed every word. What was the opportunity? He walks out the door with this flea-bitten, nasty, cockroach-eaten, smelly bed over his shoulder, walks out there and walks right into the Jews. Wait a minute. Where do you think you're going with that bed thing? We know you've been living on that for a long time. I don't care to know how you got your legs under you, but I'm telling you, we don't do that kind of thing. And he walks right into opposition. Yes? What did Jesus do? You know, if he'd have left the bed, if he'd just rise and walk, would he have walked into opposition? No, he'd have walked home. Hi, guys. How you doing? The bed. It was the Sabbath. Jesus said, take your bed. Walk out there. Jesus knew what he was sending him into. Jesus knows what he'd like to send you into, too. You say, well, that's not very pleasant. That's opposition. That's what your life is called to. Ministry that's out there. Because of the fact that he had his bed over his shoulders, he's carrying the very thing. He's carrying his comfort zone. Listen, do you have your bed? Or does your bed have you? He carries his bed, and it's a, it, it signifies his healing. It's a testimony of what God is doing in his life, and they don't like it. 
What if he said, oh, sorry, and walks back in, throws his bed down, jumps on it, waits for the water again? I don't like opposition. It's hard. That was his opportunity. Hey, a guy healed me and told me to come out here with this thing. Yeah, who? Well, I don't have all the answers, but I'll get them and I'll be back. And he paid the price because he obeyed. Because he obeyed, he's healed. How about it, student? Is it time? Wilt thou be made whole? Let's bow our heads. Just in a, a closing moment now, I do want to give you an opportunity to respond. If Jesus walked through here today, I think he's been here. I think he's here every day. I think he's here in your heart. I think he's asking, wilt thou be made whole? I don't know what the issue is. I brought up the demerits just so that nobody could really say, well, I don't, I'm fine. But maybe God's put his finger on something else. And it's so clear. We work so hard. We have such great effort to get to the water. But would we really refocus? Faith is sometimes harder than work. Will we really turn our eyes away from what we're trusting in and look to God and obey every word? and testify to what he's doing in our life.